Hello, welcome adventurers to the first episode of The Travel Log, a podcast in which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, my pronouns are she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We will go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore as well as suggestions on what type of encounters you can run there and what type of character you could create whose background is based there. Lily is my DM. We've been playing D&D together for two years now. Lily, how'd you get into D&D? Yeah, I don't know. I was, I guess I always wanted to play D&D, but none of my friends seemed like the types that would play D&D, you know, classic. And I was in a band for a while. One day the drummer... I forget if our band had broken up at this point or not. I don't think so. The drummer mentioned wanting to play D&D, but not really knowing anyone that would want to. I brought up that, yeah, like, heck yeah, I'd be down. And then so we got a couple of other people, not the other band member, though. And, uh, yeah, every Sunday we started meeting at his house and playing D&D. His uh, grandpa lived there, and so sometimes his, like, 80-year-old grandpa would be in the room watching muted, uh, like, WWE wrestling while we were playing D&D. It was quite funny. Okay, so... Yeah, it's uh, make, that makes sense with um, like the bandmate thing. And the first time I started even getting D and D in my kind of orbit, I was doing a lot of theater, and I had a lot of like movie and theater kids talking about doing it on their off time. You know, it's a real like performance. Yeah. Performers love that. Yeah, exactly. And the uh, he had just bought some books, and he really wanted to DM, and he wanted some people. And I was always into you know like the Roland Fields of Ireland or Pass Room. I was always into doing accents forever. I was always, uh, I loved the, uh, I don't know, performing, making a fool of myself. So it was super fun. Was it 5e that you started with? Oh, yeah, 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 5e. It was really early in 5e, though. Like, I think we started with um, the, what is it called? Uh, like, the starter the starter set that came out. So we, like, started, I think, before the PHB came out. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think it was the Adventure Zone uh, I was listening to, and they started back then. And had like special rules for if you're wearing heavy armor, you'd move slower. Things like that that they eventually got rid of. Yeah. So, the world of Dungeons and Dragons is huge, dauntingly so. In order to keep ourselves on a safe path, I've tried to keep clear parameters of our journey. Using the 2015 D&D map on the official Dungeons and Dragons website, uh, I'll, I'll link that on our Twitter uh, and Instagram, uh, we'll start with the most southeastern corner and make our way west before moving north and then back east until we've covered the whole map. After which, if we're still doing this, we'll go through the extended map. I'm personally excited for the Horde Lands uh, and eventually Eberron uh, and the Outer Plains. But for now, we're gonna focus on Termish. The Kingdom of Termish is known throughout the Sea of Fallen Stars as the heartland of the Reach, which is the area, uh, that kind of peninsula area down there. Uh, due to its peaceful nature, and concentration on commerce over warfare. Its capital, Alagone, serves as the most popular port of call along the southern fringes of the Inner Sea. Now, the Inner Sea and the Sea of Fallen Stars on the map above, that'll be a whole episode onto itself, uh, but it's a massive body of water, great for pirate or seafaring adventures if you don't want to do the Sword Coast uh, or any of that ocean specifically. The Sea of Fallen Stars changed from 2nd edition to 4th edition, but due to the 2nd Sundering, the borders of the sea were reset uh, for 5th edition. So I'm going to be using information from the 2nd edition. I will kind of chime in when 4th edition made a little change, but honestly in 5th edition there's no canonical lore about it. But there's been a couple couple of years now for the seas to regain its depth and for things to maybe yeah, turn the back lore, to normal. Yeah, 
the lore kind of gets written as they release campaign books and stuff. Yeah, so we'll see. I think we know we're, we're both in agreement that it's best to kind of take through the entirety of D&D lore. And there's a lot of stuff that just is said as like, it's always been this way. Yeah. So uh, why would that always been this way changed? Okay, so I'm going to start. I'm going to do some background history. Um, I'm going to do this point form. Point number one, Alagone was the first city established in the Reach around negative 37 DR. Uh, DR is the Dungeons and Dragons um, kind of like uh, before death, after death. Uh, uh, Alagone was the first city established in the Reach around negative 37 DR. Alagun uh, quickly evolved into a major trading center of the inner sea in 132 DR when Dempster Termish <laughs> declared himself the mayor of Alagone. <laughs> I know Dempster, Dempster is such a... What a um, oh, we must remember the great <laughs> Dempster. Everyone loves Dempster. In 132 DR, when Dempster Termish declared himself the mayor of Alagone, the nation of Termish <laughs> began to take shape. The merchant houses of Alagone united under rule of Alassam Mishwick, uh, just in time to face the attacking force from Shondath in 270 DR. In 352 DR, a great fire swept through the shipyards and granaries of Alagon, crippling its naval capabilities and causing widespread famine. In 400 DR, Termish found itself fighting small bands of orcs and goblins that were trying to establish territories within the Termish borders. The nation of Termish started to have problems with the Emerald Enclave in 552 DR. These confrontations erupted into full-scale armed conflict in 717 DR, the year of the Druid's Wrath. Dun, dun, dun. Termish now governed by the group of wizards known as <laughs> Windlass. Windlass. Windlass the wizards. Uh, they herald its army at the Enclave. They were completely um, destroyed quick, just wrecked. quick aside here the emerald enclave yeah. is like a faction of druids and rangers mostly that their whole existence in the forgotten realms is to protect the kind of the sanctity the boundary between nature and civilization just for um some context there oh don't worry there is a whole section coming up about emerald oh, enclave. they have a lot of bullshit out in termish uh, <laughs> in uh 992 dr a powerful military leader took control of Termish and built it into a regional power in both naval and military strength. In 1220 uh, DR, Warlath Sjorn Sedrath began a war against the dwarves of Iron Fang. Uh, this 20-year battle sapped the country's resources. Sjorn Sedrath sent out treasure parties to add more funds to the country's coffers. One such treasure party brought back mountains of gold to the capital city. Unfortunately, it also brought back venerable blue dragon Anaglathos, who killed Sendrath and established his own rule in Termish. All who opposed the Blue Worm were killed or charmed into obedience, much more the former than the latter. Uh, it became the time of worm. <laughs> All right, gonna take a breath. A lot happened. Dwarf Wars, Drew Wars, Age of Dragons. Um, but there's a, there's some good sto- there's some good lore here already. I'd say. What, what do you think, Willie? Yeah, I mean, I love. I mean, it's clearly the lore of a you know a nation being built by banners of war it seems um but i love i i always love dragons ruling like dragon kings i find that so cool there's such all the lore around dragons is you know like everything they think they're better than everyone else but they have like good reason they were like the first things to live on the earth they're giant fire breathing monsters that can also be wizards so i feel like dragon kings are something that in the lore isn't done enough 
Yeah, it's, it's a cool it's a cool concept. And I love the kind of parallel or parable, sorry, of, you know, greed bringing this on to the nation. The fact that they just wanted more and more because of poor rulers uh, before them. So I like this kind of like uh, your ambition has cost you mm-hmm. this and brought upon, brought along the, the dragon as kind of recompense. I and mean, it's also got a lot of war going on here, which would be cool for a campaign mm-hmm. setting. Um, I really like, you know, big background events going on while you're playing that you don't necessarily have anything to do with. So it becomes like, you know, the players get a choice whether they want to take place in this big background event. And Termish is pretty cool for that. Like while you're going adventuring, it seems like there's a lot of wars that could be going on in the background. Yeah, a lot of lot of strife. Also, like good history there. If you wanted to, like, say they were looking for a lost treasure that was lost in the fight against the dwarves or something, the windlasses right, exactly. had an ancient artifact. You know, there's a lot of this old history that you can pull out for them to find. There's also with the part of the world we're in something that people often don't realize. I don't know if we're gonna get into this in your notes or whatever, and if we do, we can touch back on it later. But so much of the lore of this part of the world talks about how they consider people in the Sword Coast. You know, where all the campaign take place and all the lore is from everyone considers them like barbarians and you know weak people that aren't smart they consider them ruffian wildland barbarians and it's because and this is actually the reason why so many books are written in the sword mm-hmm. coast as opposed to places like termish is that the sword coast is supposed to be um what's the word for it savage frontier so it hasn't it's not um as advanced or cosmopolitan as the rest of the world that's why a lot of the time in the campaign books right. every city you go to has like t- 20 people and a mayor because they they're not as well established they're mostly just little city states whereas places like termish and the countries around the sea of falling stars you know these are like established nations which i think is why a lot of the lore here is about you know war with conflicts with other humanoid creatures rather than just war with the environment like so much of the sword close lore is just you know they fought bands of monsters whereas this is more like you know they actual history of a nation which yeah it's uh breath of fresh air than uh, most uh you know campaign lore we get i like it though i find it very cool yeah the next kind of major historical event Termas's rebellion was led by a young paladin named corwin freyas who fought anaglathos to death in the city of alagon and people wanted corwin to become their ruler but the paladin only ruled for one year before turning over control of the country to the assembly of stars he then quietly stepped into oblivion living quiet and sheltered life of a hero until assassination in 1254 the year of silent steel now i'm just gonna say real quick saying he stepped into oblivion to describe him going just retiring is an insane way to put it yeah right (laughs) you don't talk about some dude who like retired from your i don't know uh office or whatever into oh yeah he stepped into oblivion (laughs) it's a very it's a very (laughs) epic way to describe going home yeah right (laughs) i just went home also I gotta say, Anaglathos, the name, I don't know, Alagon, ruled by Anaglathos, it sounds like they named their city and had this coming. Yeah, right? They should have seen it. But yeah, I, I like it. Um, the hero saved the people, this kind of like famous uh, paladin. Like an, uh, Pretty much it sounds like an adventure happened here. Oh, yeah. Um, like someone's campaign happened here before, and this was the end of it. I kind of like that feeling. I like that feeling that this is like... I mean, it would also be a great campaign start. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're getting into fourth edition into some, well, we're getting into the muck right now. Um, in 1385, the spell plague caused the waters of the Sea of Fallen Stars to recede, and the nation of Termish was sent into an economic disaster as the merchant strongholds on the coast were now trapped inland. 
1485, the second sundering caused torrential downpours to return to the Sea of Falling Stars to its former glory. However, the constant rain ruined the crops of the Turmish and threatened to send the nation into famine. In 1486, however, the chosen of Lathander, Steed Whitehorn, allied with the Emerald Enclave and performed two intricate magical rituals to save Turmish. The first rite made Great Rain's healing effect work faster and repair the damage inflicted on Termish by the Spell Plague. The ritual uh, re-established the natural order in Termish and restored the Emerald Enclave's magic to its level of potency before the catastrophic event. The second magical rite ended the Termishian famine by causing food to instantly grow through the nation. As you see here, we had some stuff happen in 4th edition that was immediately backtracked on oh that's that's so in between each edition there's always a cataclysmic event yeah um that kind of marks the change so there's bound to be one in the lore after fifth edition but everyone just freaking hated fourth edition like i know some people well i know some people on the internet who swear by it still but like everyone hated fourth edition yeah they were like uh okay second sundering yeah cool okay let's just uh none of that happened yeah exactly <laughs> Either things were fixed by people in in game, or some god wrote it back, and some people who uh, died came back to life, and other things happened. And uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the point for uh, history of Termish. Uh, we're now going to get more into what, what what the nation's about, what what the people are like. So the people of Termish are tall, dark skin toned, uh, generally well educated, especially in business and agriculture. The custom in Termish is that the male merchants uh, of Termish have square, neatly trimmed beards. This custom has given rise to the phrase square as a Termishian beard. It's also noted later in history of uh, Termish that there's a custom to have different colored dots on the head to denote the ability to read, huh. write, and perform magic respectively. Which is, that's interesting. Like, it, it'd be a cool way to, like, show your character was from Termish, you know? Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The dots are kind of interesting. It feels like that would be, um, you don't go into it here, and I doubt the lore goes into it, but uh, that could be a way to denote, um, I don't know, like, class structure, you know? Like, maybe the people who can't read or write, and everyone can look at them and see it. Maybe they get, uh, you know, not treated the best. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely talk in yeah, class exactly. here. The people with the magic dot run around acting like they own the place, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, could you imagine if you couldn't read and everywhere you went, people could just see that fact written on your forehead? Oh, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, so it's, 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 right for, it's right for abuse. <laughs> Termish is also a mix of elves, halflings, gnomes, and dwarves. Little is said about the society of these races. Warriors and mercenaries of Termish pride themselves on their intricately crafted armor. From the most prominent noble to the least known militiaman, fighters of Termish keep their armor in exquisite condition and frequently adorn them with embellishments. Such embellishments are usually expensive additions, such as gold inlay or gems. To the people of Termish, the armor is a status symbol. I like this. I like this a lot. So I like that. I like the kind of Termish uh, intricate armor. Um, you know, this kind of this like peacocking that they're doing, you know? Uh, it, yeah, it'd be it'd be kind of cool too for like a character concept, right? Like you're a paladin or a fighter, any armor clad class, and you're like really into your armor, so you're constantly polishing it. You know, going out of your way to find someone who can magically clean it. Yeah, exactly. And then like if you ever come across a, a valuable gem or some gold, instead of it just being money to keep in your pocket, uh, you would be like, no, I need to like add this to my armor. People need to know how like great. Yeah, I exactly. Am. You know. I like that a lot. It wouldn't give you any 
beneficial. <laughs> it wouldn't be like more DC because you have a ruby on your shoulder, but you know, it'd look nice. Yeah, no, I think that'd be cool though. I always like character concepts where you have these little, uh, you know, idiosyncrasies. So it's just like, you know, um, because we all have that in real life, right? And I feel like a lot of D&D characters don't really have that. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to have, I don't know, like essentially just something to spend your gold on that's just kind of like a ribbon, right. you know? And it's like in your character, right? Like it's like, okay, this new plate armor is you know, a thousand gold. I already have plate armor, but this plate armor is nicer. <laughs> this one's got that. This one's got a little curl at the bottom. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Look at these jewels in here. Another thing that I think, I don't know exactly how they would do this. They used to have something called um, Dungeon Magazine, where mm-hmm. they would release monthly magazines that just had random lore tidbits. And they still have it on the Wizards of the Coast website or the D&D website or whatever it is. But it's it's not great. It's mostly just like, you know, Here's a couple little side quests you could put in. Here's these people just released an owlbear plushie. Oh, look, Icewind Dale came out. Let's talk about that. Whereas it used to be like magazines of canonical lore and stuff, which I think they should really come back to because the thing is, is if you look here, 1485, right? The second sundering. So the books, like the campaign books you buy, like if you buy Waterdeep Dragon Heist, it's taking place like 15 years after that. Yeah, yeah. The the canonical lore is not in the year 1500 yet. So the thing is, is like, yeah, okay, sure. You could say I'm a human, so I was 10 when that happened. But like the Second Sundering, new continents appeared. The whole world was a huge upheaval. And you're playing a 400-year-old elf. You know, you would remember this. Yeah, yeah. You remember the whole spell plague and the fixing of it. Yeah, exactly. So like the Second, especially the Second Sundering though, because it's so recently. And then the campaign books kind of pretend like it didn't happen. And like, so I wish they were released like i don't know compendiums for you to that are specifically made to flesh out characters because it it might be really cool to say you played um i don't know like a halfling from i forget what the island is but there's an island that left at one point and then came back during the second sundering so maybe you're like a halfling who just has like ridiculous ptsd because you got banished to a different planet for a while like it left to abir and then came back to toril and maybe you're just, like, messed up by that, you know? You're like, oh, I was on Abir for a while, now I'm on Toral. That was ridiculous, and that's why I'm adventuring. I realized anything can happen in the world, so why not stop working at my parents' bar and go make this stuff happen, right? Well, yeah, and I, I, I think you could really... We'll, we'll talk about this later, but, yeah, I think you could make a really interesting character from Termish who, say, like, just your your great grandfather or even your father depending on how old you are was a great merchant before the spell plague lost everything and really went through economic downturn and now you are in this new rebuilt and revitalized termish and you're like well yeah navy's not i don't think Navy like i they could go away in a day i just saw the navy disappear in my lifetimes i I want something different you know i mean if you're a gnome a dwarf or an elf it could just be you that lost everything (laughs) yeah exactly this next part really interesting uh i want to hear your opinions about this immediately after officially termish is ruled by the assembly of stars a group of freely elected men and women chosen from the everyday population of the region each serves a term for three years by uh before another election brings a fresh group of termishians into political life this keeps professional politicians to a bare minimum since the decision to run for office is not a personal choice to make but rather decisions of one's peers. Uh, That is not to say that the decision to elect someone uh, to public office cannot be political. 
The job of assembly person is not easy. Long hours and extensive travel through the reach is normal, but by getting a successful merchant elected to the assembly, a competitor vastly increases their chances to expand their own wealth. You've never seen so many compliments bestowed upon so many people. It seems to be some sort of reverse popularity contest, with one person's charismatic nature serving to get another elected to a post they did not want. Yeah, I like that a lot because it kind of like, I don't know, IRL, you get elected to office to expand your shit. Like, I'm a capitalist, I want to make more money, I run for office, you know? Like, Jeff Bezos just stepped down from Amazon, you bet he's going to run for office soon um, to expand your power. Yet this, like, reverses that? Like, becoming a politician is, like, negative points towards your wealth, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, it's like getting court duty. You're like, ah, everyone's got to do it. And, like, it's only for three years, so don't worry about it. But, like, it's not it's not a cushion. It'd be pretty cool to um, uh, play, like, a bard or a sorcerer, any charisma class. You could play any class like this. But, of course, it lends itself to the charisma class really well. You did that. Like, you got someone else elected to kind of screw them over. And then you were like, ha, 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 I'm going to reap the benefits. And whether you were paid to do it, like, maybe someone else paid you to do it so that, you know, one merchant paid you to be charismatic and get another merchant elected so that they don't seem involved. But now you seem involved and you get paid a bunch of money. But the second the guy comes out of office, he's trying to track down and kill you. And that's why you become an adventurer. You're like on the run because you, maybe you were convinced you did the right, like maybe you thought, maybe you thought, you know, Edmund really needed to get elected. You thought he was a great guy. So you elected him to office and now he just hates you and you can't go back to Termish or Edmund's going to kill you because you screwed up his fish farming business. Well, that's the thing too that they don't really touch on. But if you just got Edmund elected and it was very obviously you, and then now has some political sway, he can get you sent to jail. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. So, like, you get someone elected who didn't want to be, and now you're on the run because uh, he hates you. Yeah, no, I think that's a great background. Uh, and this is why I brought you in for, sh for shit like that, for stuff like that. I don't know if I should swear. Who knows? The individual cities of Termish are free to govern themselves as they see fit, so as long as they pay their share of taxes to Alagon. They are also expected to follow in the dictates of the assembly, but for the most part, they are given plenty of space. The assembly concentrates on national interests and allows cities to handle their own problems. A visitor in Termish is expected to have a grasp of local customs and traditions. This expectation is especially true for merchants and businessmen trying to ply their wares in the kingdom. It's a long-standing custom for visitors in another's home to bring an exotic dish to share. These dishes are called greeting gifts, and they're used to express gratitude for the host's hospitality. Greeting gifts can range anywhere from vintage nymphet wine to a skull full of snails. Call the skull cap treat in Termish. Wicked. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I don't know why. A, <laughs> like, who's, like, what's a skull of what? Of course, the value of the gift should reflect the stature of the guest. Peasants are hardly expected to bring expensive wine. Burying a sacrifice of one's gold and gems has also been a long-standing tradition in Termish. By seeding the earth with your wealth, it is believed that your bounty will be returned to you tenfold. By and large... Making money trees. Uh, by and large, this tradition is a personal ritual performed at a time that is important to the individual. It might be during a wedding anniversary, a birthday, the anniversary of an owner's first day of business, or even upon the birth of a loved one. 
Of course, this custom has led to some treasure seeking by unscrupulous individuals. However, the act of digging up a gift of the earth is heavily frowned upon in Chermish, to say the least. Officially, it is a crime punishable by one or more years of hard labor. Unofficially, the act of digging up an offering is considered thievery, and many thieves have died at the hands of angry merchants. Regional superstition holds that stolen treasure bodes ill fortune for the coming year. So... How many parties do you think were thrown to hard labor or killed for this? I mean, okay, if you visited my island and you took the money from my hard planted money tree, you're getting years of hard labor, and that's just in Animal Crossing. But uh, yeah, no, that's pretty interesting. I mean, in the other campaign, the one I don't DM, you 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 bet my character Killian, the money hungry bard, you bet they'd be digging up this treasure, like. I but like. Uh, uh, but like it's they're they're not just burying it on the street i think like maybe in front of their like, business or their home so you have to be like pretty inconspicuous about yeah, it. yeah i mean i imagine they're burying it in like yeah specific spots you know like wedding where weddings take place and stuff i don't know i think that could be an interesting um right. you know some guy buries something super important Ooh. you know that like to him is nothing but he buried something super important like he didn't realize that this was you know a gem of theris dune or he didn't realize that this was you know, the tears of Lathander. <laughs> um, he thought it was some trinket, you know? He didn't realize that this was one part of the heart of an abolith. He just thought it was a rock, and he buried it with his stuff, right? Now you, for some reason or other, it's part of the MacGuffin for your campaign, have to go find it and dig it up. Um, and while doing that, you have to avoid suspicion. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, it, maybe the maybe you've talked to the guy or the person who's done, who's done this, and... It's like, okay, yeah, I buried it here, whatever. Like, stop bothering me. Um, but if any locals see you, if any guards see you, they're like, no, no, no. What the hell are you doing? Or he's long dead. Right, yeah. And you need to, like, find out through context clues and through his living family oh. members and through, like, history where he buried it. Oh, that's and cool. Mystery solving. Yeah you, go on, like, yeah, you go on a whole big treasure hunt to find it. And then, oh, but on top that. of that, you can't, you can't just, it throws another wrench in the idea of hunting for treasure because you can't just, usually when you're hunting for treasure, you just walk up to people and go, have you heard of, you know, the Abbey of St. Patricia? Whereas now you can't just walk up to people and go, hey, do you know where Bellathor buried his wedding gift? Because people are going to be like, why the fuck are you asking about that? <laughs> if yeah. you touch that, you're going to go to jail. And the only reason you'd be asking about it is to take it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, it's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I want to bury mine near his, I guess. Sorry. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> oh, so I don't know. I think yeah. that it'd be a really cool treasure hunt that uh, has a lot of just, I don't know, ingrained troubles that are like hard to work around. No, that's and it, like, great. It, they, that. it writes it for you right there. Most Termershans set aside one day out of every nine to chase the sun. This day is reserved for pursuing personal interests, such as learning the harp, practicing spells, spending time with the family, or other pursuits. When a Termishian says they will get to something on the ninth day, it typically means when they have time. You know, I think we should have a four-hour work week. I'm, I'm always too tired <laughs> yeah. after five days of work. I get my two days off, but like, I, 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 you need a day for hobbies, you know, you need a day for hobbies. Yeah. I mean, it's similar. It's similar to, you know, the original idea of the Sabbath or whatever. 
where you're not supposed to do anything. I, I love that they said spending time with your family as a personal <laughs> interest. Like, what are you doing the rest of the week? Just screw, no family. It's not the ninth day. I can't talk yeah, to no. you. Yeah, I, I, I do like it as like a hobby day. Cause like, but assume that like they have a day off to like rest and go to their religious service and stuff. But like, yeah, chase the sun. It's every ninth. It's one out of every nine to chase the sun. It's not every ninth day. It's not a particular day. You got to You got to pick one. Yeah, it seems like it's personal, personal for each person. I like that it's called chase the sun. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's it's got a really cool. It's like, me. hey Taylor, can you uh, make me some fine pants for this wedding? And the tailor's like, oh no, I'm chasing the sun today. You know, I'm not I'm not able to do anything today. I'm chasing the sun. And you're like, damn it, but you're the only tailor I know. Goes, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love that. Just to be like, I don't know, the mayor's there, and you're like, mayor, like something, like something terrible's happening. He's like, oh, I'm chasing the sun today. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't help today, you know. Chasing the sun. Chasing the sun. Oh, what's that you say? Hobgoblins have raided one of our near camps and you're the only people that can stop it? Oh, you're going to have to talk to me about it tomorrow. Today I'm learning the harp. <laughs> I have to finish this pottery class. I can't do anything right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to a podcast today. <laughs> um, guest house are the most popular of Turkish customs. I don't know who decided this, but someone did. Uh, <laughs> these guest houses are the small cabins built alongside trails and roads to provide shelter for travelers. They are free for all to use. The only requirement of using the house is that you replenish what you use. Local militia patrols check on the guest houses regularly uh, and use the cab horses. One second. Use the cab horses. It just says that's a matter of flatly. What's a cab horse? <laughs> yeah, Look, it's <laughs> just, you know. It's a cab, cab, cab horse. You know the cab horse. <laughs> is that not clear? It's, it's, it's cut and dry. Cab is that horse. a euphemism for like a toilet? I'm going to look up real uh, no, quick. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. I'm just going to look up real quick what a cab horse. It's just like apparently they just huh. will have guest horses. horses there on the guest houses too if you need to use them. But most are simply small structures capable of providing shelter for up to six travelers. I, I think this is great. I think this is a great encounter. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. Also, first of all, guest houses are the most popular of Turmish customs. It's popular because the, the player characters. <laughs> yeah, this, I, this I, yeah I think popular. player characters are stoked about this it. This isn't popular. For, why would Turmish people care about this? They have a house. Um, yeah, Turmish people are like, I love my guest house. So I love good. this <laughs> random shack on the side of the road in between my house and Gary's. Yeah, no, this is fantastic. You know, you go into a guest house. There's a dead kid. Or a dead wife, you know, and you're like, oh, there's a dead wife. Mm. What are we gonna do? Is this a Christopher Nolan? Or, uh, <laughs> or you go into a guest house, you know, and there's the guards are dead, and then later, later, um, the guard comes back. You know, they say guards do regular patrols. Maybe there's a dead guard in there, and then later you find the same guard knocks on the door and is like, hey, is everything up to code here? And you're like, what the fuck? You're dead over there. You know, and then bam, doppelganger attack. Right. Yeah, you could also have a great, like, um, say you're looking for someone. Uh, you have a bounty on someone or you're looking for someone uh, to take to, you know, kill them or take them in. And you meet them at a guest house with some other people there and you have to, like, play it right. cool. Right, or there's always one them. guest house in front of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I like, I like that. this. It's cool. Also, you know, just if you want to be basic about it free in you really don't you don't pay for it (laughs) here's the thing though you could also make a nice little thing free in don't think about it put up those rules replenish and if your party doesn't have it like 
bite them in the bat. Uh, oh yeah, in the butt later. Yeah, comes back to haunt you. There are two major Termitian festivals: the Feast of the Moon, and the Reign of Misrule. During these times, businesses and most government offices close. All of Termish celebrates. So first, the Feast of the Moon. During the high summer, one night after the midsummer, the people of Termish gather for a night of drinking, dancing, and debauched revelry. This is the Feast of the Moon, also known as the Festival of Lovers. While many who participate in the feast are married, this is the time of year that many choose to consummate new marriages. Needless to say, the week leading up to the Feast of the Moon is rife with marriages. Some even choose to marry on the night. Now, this is written in the 80s, a bit um, normative (laughs) as fuck. Um, So it's the Festival of Lovers. Go get some sex on. I don't think people need to marry right before. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, okay, no, but this one, perfect quest right there. Revelrous debauchery. Okay, wait, wait. Before you give me me this, let me finish it. Lovers are required to seek each other out in places that are strange to them, agreeing to a specific meeting place. Lovers take different routes to their rendezvous. <laughs> Some uh, are more popular rendezvous spots are Lake of Drifting Stars, Everstar Vale, Starfall Stream Pool, and the Bare Bones Hill. In the years since the Time of Troubles, militia patrols have been increased due to the prevalence of the cult of Malar, who hunt down lovers uh, as the opportunity presents themselves. Indeed, it is not uncommon for lovers to carry weapons for their own protection. <laughs> okay, there you go. Let's go. Let's go get some sex on, but bring your armor and sword. Exactly. Like wear wear the lacy underwear, but also the little the like dagger that you can care, put to your ankle. You know. Um. But uh. Yeah. Okay. Right away classic thing you could do here a bunch of uh, so it's a night of debauched revelry right who who in lore loves debauched revelry who who is literally the incarnate beings of revelry and ridiculous drunk tricks satyrs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so what you do is the festival has been uh what's like infiltrated by a bunch of satyrs that are um they have a lot of animosity towards this place for some reason towards algaron or termish as a whole and so they infiltrate the thing and all the revelry is um because they can do charm with their music with their pan flutes and stuff they can charm people and so the whole festival has been infiltrated by these satyrs with a chip on their shoulder um and at the climax of the festival during the height of their charm magic you know something's gonna happen i don't know what but like you'd have to flesh that out but that was that would definitely if i was gonna write this festival in that's definitely what i would do you know they're charmed to maybe husbands and wives start cheating on each other during the festival and you know, everyone goes ridiculous and it's all just one big, uh, because of the satyr's magic, it's all one big offering and uh, sacrifice or something. One big prayer the people don't even know they're part of that'll summon, you know, the great elder tree right in the middle of the city. And you got to stop this. But of course, this is such an important festival to everyone. They're like, there's no way this is true. There's, what are you talking about? You're insane. There's no way satyrs have infiltrated this festival. Yeah, I also think you can do like a really funny quest or like fun quest of like being hired by an important merchant, someone who's worried that they're going to be attacked at this. this. Yeah, bodyguard. Yeah, and they're like, guard me, but like, don't cock block me. Like, don't don't get in the way. Guard me, but don't watch. Yeah, but don't watch. Like, you know, like be nearby, but like not too nearby. And so having this like yeah. really like awkward thing of like having to watch out for like killers of them, but also this person's going out looking to get laid. So like they're going up and talking to going in a weird place or doing something. You know? Yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool too. Yeah. 
Okay, so that, that one's good. The Feast of the Moon, love it. Some good stuff there. Okay, so the next one, also, I think, quite good. The Reign of Misrule. Ten days after Hyverstide, the Reign of Misrule begins. This festival allows Termish natives to break the oaths of their guild or faith so long as they don't cause death or destruction. Non-natives of the Reach are never excused for their actions during the Reign. During the Reign of Misrule, it is not uncommon to see a rude paladin involved in knockout, dragout, ballroom brawls, monks of various faiths talking and laughing freely with others, breaking a vow of silence, or other shocking sights. The Reign of Misrule normally lasts only a day, but the memories it provides are everlasting. It is a crime in Termish to discuss anyone's actions during the Reign, and the custom is so ingrained in the culture that even children understand the rules of the reign of misrule what is this like that movie where there's no laws for one night the the purge yeah what is this the termish purge it, it's it's like the purge but it's not like you can break laws it's that you break an oath yeah eh, same difference same difference i'm just <laughs> it's their version it, it's not saying you can go around killing people but it's like yeah if you took a vow of celibacy not not today not if, tonight not tonight if you're like uh, a vegan you're, you're like emerald enclave vegan it's like mm, that's steak though you're like you're like uh you know like a monk and you're like ooh ooh the the reign of misfortune is coming ooh and i took a vow of uh being removed from society i'm a hermit ooh time to go play the stock market this night time to go invest <laughs> in some trade exactly no like yeah I, I i think it's fun or even like if you have your player there though it does say something about outsiders not being a part of it you can forget that and get your your paladin to be like that oath thing you you don't have to care today you don't have to protect the innocent tonight yeah i mean or or someone uh gives you misinformation and tells you that right and so you do that and then at the next day everyone's like hey screw you man and you're like wait that guy told me i was allowed to do this and they're like you're not you're an outsider and then like there's a whole quest of like you get kind of screwed over by that you know add some uh tension in the city regarding around your character because you were foiled into doing this yeah, I, I think like side quest potential here, but and, and also probably something that could be really fun is say if you've just come into Termish and this is like your second day there or your first day there and you're like, why are people acting like this? Like what a weird place. There's paladins. Like think of that. Think of like you come into town first night in and in paladins are having this like drunken brawl and you're like this place is messed up. What the heck? Yeah, and this then place the next is ridiculous. Yeah, and the next day you, you come up to a guy and you're like, "Hey dude, you you knocked me out of the inn the other night." And he's a paladin. He's like, "How dare you say that?" Like, "No, I didn't." We're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, you yeah, could exactly. also be um, someone hires you because you're an outsider specifically to get revenge on someone you know guy's wife cheated on him during the reign of misfortune and he's got a chip on his shoulder about it so he hires you to go kill the guy she did infidelity with but like no one can know right yeah because because he can't tell anyone about it you're marriage is no exactly or it doesn't have to be marriage it can be anything you know someone is upset about something someone did but they can't do anything about it because they're not even allowed to talk about what happened right yeah so they hire you to deal with it because you're an outsider yeah, that's great. I love that. So that's kind of Termish customs uh, and Termish uh, backstory. We're now going to go focus on the capital. 
of Aladon. The capital of Termish is an ancient city that has seen its share of trials and tribulations over the years, ranging from terrible fires to occupation by the blue dragon Alagoths during the reign of the worm. Throughout all of this, Elagon survived as a trade center known as the Throne of Termish. There's been numerous stonemasons involved in the creation of stone buildings, vaults, houses, and drains that comprise Elagon. This construction has created a thousand thousand hiding places. This fact is especially true where the works of human stonemasons cover up the older workings of a dwarven craftsman. The secret passages and cubby holes created by overlapping workmanships are popular places for children to play. So should we get your partner in on this? Because they like child hijinks in D&D. <laughs> They're busy in the other room. Cubby holes, hidden passageways, like this is, that's some good shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, just anyone living in a wall is fantastic fodder for any... Oh, someone living in the wall. So you're saying, like, okay, they've built over this and there's still something happening in in those walls? Like, there's actually... Well, like, maybe maybe these cubby holes, you know, can connect secret passages, cubby holes. You know, maybe people, like, literally live in these Mm, passages. That's cool. Spend their life out of the shadows, you know, and it's just, like... I don't know, you encounter an old woman and she's like, you know, well, I leave I, I leave milk out every night and a little bit of uh, berries for the little spirits because I've angered them recently because they keep eating my bread. And it turns out that it's just, you know, some halflings or, um, you know, like underdark dwarves or some underdark gnomes that are like living in the passageways. Even just some rambunctious children who are like orphans living in the passageways yeah, stealing yeah, no, people's bread. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I like it too, the idea of like maybe they don't know about it exists like you, you kind of poked into it but like you're like oh that door leads to my pantry but you look to the side you get kind of deeper and you're like wait no there's a gap here like there's a human-sized gap over here <laughs> yeah exactly sometimes the children run into monsters never again to run through the city streets of Alagone. when a child is missing eventually companies are sent to investigate however more often than not they play happily for years leaving a trail of used toys and adventuring supplies behind sometimes children have come across long forgotten vaults that most likely once belonged to the ancient rulers of termish while it's rare for a child to come out of the maze of tunnels with a gold coin hundreds of years old is not unheard of during the time of anagalas the blue dragon allowed a lich queen from Uther to reside below the palace when anagalas died during the revolution the lich queen continued to live quietly below the city so okay lich queen lich queen in the basement that's not gonna <laughs> come back to bite you i love that too yeah but see this is what i'm talking about it says right here children run into monsters like if children are using this what else is using this right that's what i that's what i love about this is it's like i don't know quest children have been going missing you got to go in there or doppelgangers i know i mentioned them before but have started taking the guise of children you know replacing them as they go into these little towers uh cubby holes and uh, secret passages or maybe one of them stumbles upon the lich queen and i don't know you gotta be careful when dealing with children because my go-to here i would think you know the Lich Queen has started making them her servants, and now there's a moral dilemma of there's, you know, Lich Queen thralls trying to kill you, but they're kids. <laughs> and when you do that, you always have to give a way for you to not kill the children. Otherwise, it's a little iffy. You know, like, the point is that, I don't know, you don't want to write a campaign where you're killing a bunch of kids. But what if you write a campaign where you have to free the kids while they're trying to kill you? Because, like, a Lich... A lich, a lich, it would not be past a lich to be like, oh, I'll make these children who discovered me by mistake my thralls. No one will suspect or attack the children, you know? 
Yeah, no, or you could do like a nice little horror campaign of like Children of the Corn where all the kids are kind of acting a bit weird. Not maybe not murderous, but they're just acting a bit weird. And you find out that they've been playing in the tunnels. So I'm going to, I'm just going to send you real quick in Discord here uh, the map of Elagone. Um, it's not, this is from the book I've been reading from. This is the only canonical map of Elagone. It is very sparse. Bunch of rectangles. It's not even the whole city. No. No, <laughs> it's, it's very sparse. Uh, here is, uh, I'm just doing some clicking. Uh, here is what's written about this. Elagone is divided up into city districts. The military district is north of the city and includes the naval shipyards and ports reserved for their ships. To the south lies the merchant district. To the east, the assembly or government district. Uh, and houses continue out from Elagone's farther west. So you kind of see it here. You kind of see it in their 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 yeah uh, I mean their map. They have the districts like set aside a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it seems there's like there's here's here's what I'll say. Less canonical information, more for you to do, more yeah. for you to play with. Plus, I don't know. In the older editions, yeah, city maps are sparse. Yeah, like I'll I'll post this too uh, on the Twitter. Um, but yeah, I I feel like you got at least you got a basic idea. Uh, from this from this map in the description, like okay, the military. If I want to put some something to do with the military, I'll make them go up north, and then all the merchants and like the marketplaces are going to be off south. Yeah, I mean, it's also kind of if you look at the map, at least these districts are all kind of centered around the water. Like that gives you a good idea that like the important buildings are near the water, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we're just kind of as you move away out west, it's just more uh, you know outside industries. Probably if they have any sort of like yeah kind of lower class probably a bit more to yeah. get away from the water i mean that's probably what i would do uh, that's what i would infer from this seeing as all their important buildings are by the water the further away you go the less important it becomes i guess also too like i'd say as it's as it talks about building on top of old things i i don't see topography here but if there was dwarven structures back here if there used to be a dwarven settlement i'd assume they would be a bit more uh, higher altitude and away from the water you know how things usually go down towards the water so maybe the dwarven the old dwarves district is actually a bit out away from the water yeah maybe possibly dwarves also like to go underground too so yeah exactly so it'd probably be behoove them to be a bit away from it like elsewhere in Termish, mercenary companies perform many of the jobs normally associated with the local militia. They are hired out to perform odd scouting jobs and patrols along the more wild areas of Termish. Occasionally, they run into powerful monsters they can't overcome, but more often than not, they chase off whatever they do come across. A strong elf presence exists in Alagone, uh, as many of them have decided, for one reason or another, not to follow the rest on the retreat. There is not a segregated population of elves within the city, however, for they live comfortably among the humans. So, yeah, there, there you have it. There's kind of a basic outline of Alagone. It's it's a like it's a capital city. It's got a good uh, metropolitan feel to it, and like a, a basic history for you to go off. Yeah, of. I think it's pretty cool. It's an interesting little place. Yeah, I will say this. So this, what I've just read, is all from 2nd edition. All 4th edition says about Alagon is that when the waters receded, because it used to be a naval 
like headquarters, um, a, a naval trade uh, hub. It lost that ability when the waters receded. So for about a hundred years or so, Tur- like Alagone was not what it is in this. It really suffered. Uh, it had a huge economic downturn, and a lot of people moved away to go to the new um, water, the new water's edge, and then quickly came back once the water started to flood again and probably destroyed that new city. Um, so um, Termish, I would say you, you in fifth edition, as it is now, I'd say it would probably be a real gold rush town, a real place of like people had left and now are kind of rushing back and hoping it gets back to its former glory. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, for sure. Also, it's been, what, like 15 years-ish since uh, the water came back, right? Um, yeah. It came back during the second sundering. So I think it'd be really cool to play it like just past the gold rush. Like you're late to the gold rush. So like it's still there a little bit, but when you get there, now it's like competing factions essentially, you know? Like the first guy there owns a bunch of Termish, but then there's a bunch of other people. And so it's kind of in political turmoil. And then on top of that, there's still people coming in for this kind of, like you put it, gold rush. That's kind of how I would deal with it, you know? Because of course the people who got there first would get the most, right? Yeah, well, there's probably a lot of ships full cloth like that. That I don't know how fast uh, the spell play hit. I think it was like within a day. So there's ships that were just completely yeah. beached. That as the water came back, you'd be like, oh, like these are the people who own these just left them. So if you claim them quickly, yeah, that, they're yours. Like I feel Go like ahead. there'd be a lot of land disputes and stuff at this point 15 mm-hmm. years on. Also, I mean, I think that aside, best part about this is that there's a buried city. Yeah. True. underwater city that's yeah, cool that's cool yeah <laughs> find yourself an artificer make yourself an underwater suit and go to fight some you know krakens yeah no that's very cool so um yeah with with all this in mind like what kind of character would you if you were to make a character from alagon uh like it's, it's their background they're from Algon, what, what would you do from this information i mean you could about? go a couple ways with this either you're someone who left termish um Alagone, you know because of the spell plague and then the second centering happens and you haven't heard that termish got better or anything so you've got like a chip on your shoulder you were forced to leave home you know um you've lost everything and you turn to a life of adventuring because of that um i think that'd be kind of cool and you could play it as if like you know like oh i used to be a merchant lord do you know who you're talking to and then everyone's like well yeah i know who i'm talking to you're a freaking nobody you don't even have two silver to rub together and it's like yes but i used to you know um trying to recover your glory through adventuring i think that'd be an interesting one i think it seems they really like their appearance so like a character who's gone out adventuring uh, maybe you didn't like the merchant lifestyle of uh alagon so you went out you left cast that aside to go out and make a name for yourself adventuring maybe you were really inspired by that paladin but your like vanity is like your flaw you know so it's just like you know yeah okay let's go fight the monster in the sewer but first we need to go buy a spell scroll of water walk because there's no way i am getting my perfectly polished plate mail boots dirty with sewer mud you know i think that would be fantastic like it's it's a hindrance to the party how much you care about your appearance and especially gold if you're not a spellcaster no that's very cool yeah i think it'd be good like either very like kind of posh ish character like who's thinking they want more adventure but isn't ready because elgon sounds like there's adventure there if you look for it but like it's it's not like you know a place if you're looking yeah, for I mean, it's honor, like emergency, glory, right? you know it's, it's also like exactly. um though the thing is is to you that's to you that's normal though so like you wouldn't be like 
if, if you think that's normal, like, of course, I'm not, we need to get boots of water walk because we're not going to get our boots dirty. When the rest of the party goes, we don't care about that. You're going to be like, you foreigners are ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like, it's not to you. It's everyone else who's weird. You could also have a really fun thing if you were from Alagon or Termish in general to be like, oh, there's a house on the road. Let's go stay there. And everyone's like, are you crazy? No. Yeah, a little quirk set it in. I love that. In the <laughs> campaign where I'm a player, I constantly bring up stuff from Marsember. Right. Rolling Fields of Ireland, you know, I'm always talking about the nice perfumes from Marsember. That reminds me from back home when we'd ride around in the skiffles, you know, little skiffs through the water. Um, or how, like, you know, oh, I'm afraid of horses. I'm better on a boat. I, I love being able to throw just those little idiosyncrasies from where you're from into your character that are foreign to everyone else but normal to you. You could also, too, really run a cool uh, undead warlock who was a kid growing up at Algon, met that Lich Queen, and got a little Yeah, I was, I was just about to say that. Or uh, the undead war- warlock would be great. Or the new warlock that was just released in the Unearthed Arcana. I forget what it's called. Because there's the one in the Sword Coast, and then they released a new one that's kind of an updated version. Because the one in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide kind of sucks. Uh, or you could grab the Haunted One background from Strahd which is essentially the I have PTSD background. And so you were a kid running through those places and you saw something like an Eldritch Terror or the Lich. You know, you saw the Lich cast Power Word Kill and it scarred you for life and you ran away from home. Right, yeah. Yeah, you just had to get out of there. Like, how could you sleep knowing that but that's underneath connected you. to your house is that? Yeah, and so now you left home and maybe you're, you don't know this yet, but your ultimate goal right now is to get away but ultimately you grow into the idea that your ultimate life goal is to return home and smite this lich. You can also take it a different, like less terrifying and more inspiring way. And like you used to always climb through those tunnels as a kid. And now you just, you know, you have this archeologist, you have this dungeon crawling ingrained in you as a kid. Yeah. You've got this need for adventure. Yeah. You could also just, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could just be, grab the guild artisan background and just be someone who's traveling around trying to sell their wares from Termish. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, also, yeah, like what, if you were to do like, uh, throw up some side quests uh, in Termish, if you're just kind of passing through, not Termish, uh, side quests in Elagone, passing through, what, what would you throw out I there? Mean, okay, so the easiest one that we've been talking about this whole time is, you know, little Cindy Waterstomp has gone missing and you've got to find her in the secret passageways. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Yeah. Um, Kids, always good. Like that, that will pull at any lawful good or even. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a kid. It could be someone's long lost. It could be someone's love. You know, on the eve of them getting married or something, goes missing into the tunnels. And then I would add another thing in there that if I were to run people here because it's so focused on customs, I would definitely make it so everyone in the city is difficult. Like until you learn the termish customs, no one's going to help you. Right, 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 right. Like, if you don't show, like, okay, so you need to get into these secret passageways in the walls. Okay, well, the last place, you know, Sally, I forget her, Sally Riverstomp was seen was in her friend, you know, um, Amalia's house. Well, Amalia's dad isn't going to let you in because you didn't come with a gift, like they say in Termish. And now, not only is he, even if you come back with a gift, he's difficult because he doesn't like you because you disrespected him that first time. So, like, it adds this layer of, like, you kind of have to learn the customs while you're there or else your quest is going to be more difficult. Next one that comes to mind instantly is, you know, guy died holding important thing. Now he's in the washed up city under the river, under the sea. Okay, yep, yep. That's a great one. Um, 
Yeah, totally. It gives you some underwater adventure. It gives you some, like, having to track down where this might have been. Yeah, it adds a bunch of stuff. I think the best part about this information, it's all from 2E, right? And so it's good to pick and choose stuff. And, like, I import stuff from 2nd Edition all the time, because why not? Um, it's We rewrite our own canon as we play. But the thing I like about learning information like this is that, I don't know, like, I've played games where they're super fun and everything, but a lot of the time worlds can feel not real if you know what i mean not fleshed out oh yeah no so, I, like, I i really fucked that up with uh my jrpg campaign I, I really put a lot of effort into certain things and not others and i felt a lot of i felt this kind of flimsiness when it came to the cities. i mean it can be super overwhelming because like cities are so populous and breathing and living and have their own customs even next door neighbor cities are so different it's like really daunting to run stuff in a big city, especially like a metropolitan city. So like, I think it's 100% understandable. I think it's a very difficult thing to do. But what's good about this kind of information is you can use this to add little... So like in our campaign, both of them, whenever you guys go to a city, whenever y'all go to a city, I always make a list of, depending how long you're going to stay there, you know, 10 to 20 to even sometimes like when you were in Waterdeep, like 30 or 40, just like background stuff that's going on. And then every day I roll and see which one comes up, if any. There's always, you know, if I've got 20 or say I've got 15, then like 1 to 15 is a thing and 16 to 20 is nothing's going on that day. Um, and they're just little things, you know? So like your next door neighbor gets kicked out because he forgot to shave his beard properly and his dad thinks that that's disrespectful to the family line not having a square beard you know it's just some random thing to make the city feel living and i think this kind of information is really good for that because you have so much to draw on here you know um someone's mm -hmm. yeah there's some great backstory and like great little customs around it there's even some festivals uh, i haven't touched on in termish uh, I was thinking of saving it for uh, a bit of a, a, a thinner episode. Um, but yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, going so on I think here that's that uh, the best part of lore like this is that once you get an idea for how the city is run, it's really easy for you to write the, your own thing. So it's like you run into someone burying some stuff and you're like, oh, what are you doing? And the guy's like, oh, you know, I'm burying this stuff. And then you learn the custom and then you walk away and the encounter means nothing. Like the encounter doesn't do anything, but it makes you feel like the city is real and it makes you grow attached to the city. And then when it comes to comes time to leave the city, you're kind of like, oh, but this place was so cool. That guy buried some stuff. We met this one guy who uh, <laughs> is the only guy who's allowed to bring his sheep flock through the city because of... You know, he brought the best guest house gift to the king or whatever. I don't know. You know, just little things like that to dust into the city to make it feel real will really make players, like, attached. And you can base... Once you get the idea of the customs, right, it's so much easier to uh, build off that. Same with, like, lore stuff. Like, maybe there's a guy going through the city um, doing vigilante justice and the guard have put a bounty on his head for whoever can catch him. And it turns out he is... He thinks he's the reincarnation of that paladin. And he's going around doing vigilante justice. Or you could put in, like, say you're a dragonborn coming into the town and people are kind of like, ugh, about you because you're blue dragonborn. Like, you know, even though none of them were alive when it happened, has this feeling of, like, yeah, exactly. distaste towards dragons. Yeah, Termish seems like you'd really have to, because this is, really have to lean into the urban encounters. Because the thing is, is what I was talking about earlier, how so many adventures are set in the Sword Coast. And people always talk about, like, why and stuff. And it's because, what are you supposed to run in Termish besides an urban encounter? 
Oh, don't worry. No, 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 don't worry. There's, we're, we're getting to that. <laughs> we're getting to that. Because Termish yeah, is yeah, a whole yeah. area. It's I a just whole mean, problem. Okay, so in the area around Alagon, the thing is, is that I understand, like, I'm not saying that there's no way to run an encounter. I just mean that a lot of the other countries, a lot of the lore involves, like, regular patrols. Like, it says right here that the armed guard of Alagon regularly patrols for monsters, and there's rarely a threat big enough for them to not overtake right so like it would be going against the lore of termish if you were walking around alagon and you got ambushed by goblin and so you can do that as a dm do whatever you want i would still do that it's just you are going against the lore True. there it'd be a bit more of like a yeah like an urban encounter and also maybe a bit more of a like moral encounter because you'd be coming up against yeah. people it, do, it does say uh up there though that the mercenary companies perform the jobs for the militia yeah, so. yeah you could be that Exactly. Oh, you could be that. Also, like, if a mercenary company doesn't like your face, maybe they're not all up on the up and up, but they're doing this guard work. You, you can also have that. Issue, yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, there's always ways to work around it. And also, I love urban encounters. We're in the campaign we play together that I DM. As you know, we've currently had like six sessions so far, I think, of urban D&D. And it's fun. It's it's great. Yeah. There's always so much random stuff to do. It's just that the reason so much is in the Sword Coast is that there's just freaking monsters everywhere. There's no centralized government to deal with them and so like that's why i feel like it's easier to write an encounter in the sword coast because the encounter can just be you leave your house and get attacked by orcs there's no there's no government for you to go to to help you here you live in the green fields there's no government anywhere near oops it's nighttime you got attacked that's not to say that you shouldn't run it in termish because like it adds a different context and layer i think to a DD adventure which i think would be really cool like it adds more, adds more thought, adds more um, angles that you have to look at, you know, rather than just you run outside and fight orcs, which I think is really interesting. And I would love to see um, these countries mm -hmm. kind of fleshed out in uh, campaign settings because that'd be so cool. And I think that's something everyone wants is campaigns that aren't just go deal with monsters in the wilderness, which you can still do here. Like you said, you get hired by mercenaries or something. Well, adventurers, that's it for our journey today. Hope you learned some good lore for your stories in Alagon, Termish, and the surrounding area. On our page, D&D Travelogue, I will be asking for adventures you and your past campaigns have gone to in the area we covered. This week will be Alagon, so please tweet us at D&D Travelogue or at Alagon there, uh, hashtag Alagon there. So please tweet us at D&D Travelogue or hashtag Alagon there, and I'll select some stories to tell at the top of the next oh, hello. episode. Oh, hello. Have you been to Alagon? Oh, no, I haven't been to Alagon yet, but Alagon there next week. Oh, see, hey. Alagon there next week. <laughs> it's like Argo Fuck Yourself, which, you know, that that's the reason that movie won the Oscar. On the next episode, we'll be continuing in Nonthal and Illawood, as well as a couple of locations such as the Centaur Bridge. Uh, thank you, Lily, for joining me today. Oh, of course. Uh, also, thank you for the amazing cover art. And that, I, that I have not made yet. Shh, they don't need to know that. And thank you to the band Blood and Dust for the use of their song Around the Fire as our intro and outro music. You can check them out on Bandcamp and SoundCloud uh, and link in the description below. All right. Have a great long rest.